You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 36. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come on the show and pitch their story ideas to Dave and I and our esteemed guest host. And then, see, now, Brian, you've, you've set a standard here that I'm having a hard time achieving. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm, I, I should have thought about this ahead of time. Then we hold it down under the water. No, that's not it. Um, mm-hmm. Then then we, we uh, strap it to a chair and hook up electro. No, that's not it either. Crap. I'm just going to go with the default and say okay. we dig into it. Uh, we, we explore it. We explore the nooks, the crannies, the bright, shiny spots in the deep, dark shadows, uh, right. hoping to tease out those lovely nuggets of literary gold to create an awesome piece. And I just gave away the big wrap up, didn't I? <laughs> I am so out of practice on this. But now, ulti- I, now I don't know what to say when you set it up. I know exactly. Well, let, let's just go into it and say, hoping to achieve... Brian, help me out. You just left me hanging, you son of a bitch. Literary. See, I'll do it. Okay. Okay, ready? Yes, go for it. Let me me prepare myself here. Okay. Literary gold. Dude, that was badass. Oh, well, thank you. I've been working on it. That was dead sexy, man. That was awesome. Instead of of singing in the shower, now that's all that I do. (laughs) Literary gold. And Allie's looking at you going... Are you okay, What Brian? the hell got into you? <laughs> no, I got to get it right, hon. Literary That's gold. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and that pretty much consumed much of our 120 seconds that we usually lead yeah, off with probably. together. But are you doing good, bud? Yeah, everything's great. I uh, we, we just got into the, I'm directing a one act at the school. Right. Um, and uh, we had our first few rehearsals, and these kids are phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's, I always heard, well, heard, uh, I took directing classes cause that was kind of what I majored in. And, um, the, the rule of thumb is that directing is 90% casting and thank God I cast it correctly because it <laughs> makes my job cake. Um, but they're, they're fabulous and it's going to be a really awesome show. And it actually, uh, by the time that this goes up, it will be opening, the weekend that this goes up. Oh my God. So, so friends, if you're in the Greeley, Colorado area, make That's that right. scene, Brian, what are the details? Um, it'll be at, uh, Greeley central on, um, which is a high school in Greeley, Colorado, and it will be on the 8th, 9th and 10th of November, um, from starting at about seven and it's coupled with the dance concert. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very yeah. cool. And not only that, but we just alienated ninety percent of our audience by talking about something <laughs> they have. They ain't hey, getting anywhere near. If they can go to Balticon, they can come to my goddamn one. <laughs> right on, brother. Yeah. You hey, you know something, Brian? Uh, uh, yeah. there, there's somebody else who actually studied directing and theater in college. Oh, yes. Do tell. Our guest host. Fabulous. Well, let's get him back on then. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, Hugo Award winner and currently the the Herr Direttore Editorale of, I'm just totally, I, I think the Italians <laughs> and the Germans are now going to come at me with knives uh, at, uh, at Pyre Books. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, Mr. Lou Anders. Lou, thank you so much, man, for coming back. 
Welcome. Dave, can you do all my introductions? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever I am, you know, conventions, other podcasts, I'm sure they wouldn't mind. You know, I for a modest fee, Lou, I will be your announcer. I will be I will follow you around with a mic and a wah-wah pedal, and you will sound epic. Everybody will know that you're there. I don't know about modest. How about a really timid fee? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a shy fee. Just kind of peaks. It peaks. Whoa. It peaks around oh. your wall. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, coaster stuck to the bottom of the tea glass. Okay, good. Because oh, we, yes. we haven't lost a guest host yet, and we'd like to not start yes. now. Those diabolical coasters. Oh, man. No kidding. And tea. Awesome. What kind, just out of curiosity? Green. Green, Green tea. tea. And what do you want for your birthday? Ooh. <laughs> um, do you know, only because I just found out about it today... Mont- I, I don't I don't play RPGs anymore, but I read RPG campaign settings like crazy, and I'm I'm a big backer on Monty Cook's recent when the Newman era on Kickstarter. I don't know if you saw. Yes, yes. Before that, called P T O L E M U S or something, Ptolemy. Okay, Ptolemies. Ptolemies uh, is a mm-hmm. city, and someone said he worked out every single house in the city and every single inhabitant in every single house. And it's just sick level of detail. And now it goes for like 170 or 270 bucks. Oh my God. Find it. So that's what I want. That's what Lou wants for Christmas. So, friends, if you're trying to get the perfect gift for Mr. Lou Anders, now you know and you're welcome. So, and, and I know we already did the 20 minutes with a couple of days ago, but Lou, I got to ask, what is the fixation with RPG source material when you haven't rolled dice in many, many years? Uh, world building. It, it's actually, oh God, short answer is I became very interested in the difference in the writing between my writers who write fantasy fiction and don't play RPGs and my writers who do play RPGs and write fiction. And, um, and, I, and I also, um, you know, at one point in time, sword and sorcery was the predominant form of fantasy and then the epic took over and I began to suspect back then and now know for a fact that, that the itch that was being scratched from Sword and Sorcery was being fulfilled by RPGs. And the RPG kept as an... I just read my first Ari Salvatore book last year. I read Homeland. <laughs> it's great. It was fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that it, it's straight Sword and Sorcery. It, it, you know, Dritz belongs alongside Elric and Faffer and the Grey Mouser. There you go. Uh, and and, and can, could hold a place there. At least, at least that book. I don't know how the series progresses. But um, because I never get to read anything but the first book in every series. <laughs> <laughs> the curse of an editor. Well, yeah, it's more important that I know what everyone's doing and I follow one character. So in the time it would take me to read the, other, the next 19 or 20 books, I should read 19 other first books. Yeah. Uh, I never get to know anything ends. So when the time comes that we actually evolve and, and, and create neural uploads of books, you're going to be a happy guy. Oh my God! You don't. What I want is the ability to do dupes of your personality that you can then assign tasks to. <laughs> version of Lou that just reads the that just reads and then create the version that just writes and then the version that just plays Skyrim. Oh God, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I think I think there's a story there, and I want to say I think there's a thesis in that uh, notion of writers that do RPG and writers that don't in the fantasy sure. they create. That sounds intriguing. I, I mentioned I was 100 hours into Skyrim. I'm completely doing it to see what kind of effect it has on my own writing. Ah, interesting. But at least that's what I tell my wife. Uh, uh, if nothing else, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, maybe it'll evolve a blog post just to validate those those 100 plus yeah. hours after you're all said and done. 
Lou, what's coming up in, in your world, man? What, uh, what, if, what do fans need to know about, uh, fans of Pyre, fans of Lou Anders? Uh, what, what's coming up on your day planner? Oof. Well, I, we just came back from Dragon Con, which right. was a tremendous show for us. We do that every year. And uh, I actually don't go anywhere again until Convergence uh, next year. It's um, July 4th to 7th, I think, is my next con, 2013. God, oh, that's a long time. That is a long time. That's Bloomington, Minnesota. And, uh, but in terms of Pyre, you can find out by going to PYRSF.com or going to the Pyre Facebook page or following the Pyre Books Twitter account, which is PYR underscore books with the P and the B capitalized. And, uh, or you can follow me on Twitter because I created the Pyre Twitter account years before I realized that maybe I needed a separate identity. (laughs) Now Pyre has about 5,000 followers and I've just cracked a thousand. I'm on it at Lou Anders. But uh, so please, please, please help Anders out. It's feeling really, really outclassed by its older brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the and the the stable of authors that are available through Pyre is is just staggering. It's it's drool instilling and jaw dropping. So definitely, friends, te- check out that URL. Uh, uh, go ahead and follow Lou and Pyre because they're 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 you know follow Friday. That's that's where we're going with this one. Uh, uh, follow those up and Lou will make sure all those links get into the, the, the show notes definitely thank you very much and if I can, if I can plug I guess um, a couple things of note coming up in November we have Brenda Cooper's The Creative Fire which is sort of Eva Perone on a Generation Starship I've heard of that there's a and, lot of buzz about that yep and John Picasso did the cover and it's probably it's probably my favorite piece he has ever done we really just hit artistic gold. <laughs> and uh, also coming up, we have Ian McDonald's Be My Enemy, which is the sequel to his first YA novel, Planes Runner. And it's just, it's, it's cybernetic, bionic clones killing each other in worlds overrun with nanotechnology, being chased by giant worms on an airship. It's, it's incredible. I it's just had a geek gasm. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, one more I'll plug. We have another YA from Tim Levin who usually does horror or fantasy. And this is the Toxic City Trilogy, book one, London Eye. A airplane crashes into the London Eye. And everyone is told that London is now radioactive wasteland. Stay out of it. And the military bombs uh, several city blocks circle around London. And no one gets in and no one gets out. And I say, there's nothing in there. You want to go in there? No, no, no. And uh, some kids whose parents and loved ones are inside sneak in and find out it wasn't terrorists, as they were told. It was a scientist who has dumped a virus called Evolve. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. And is that a YA book? It is, but it's a dark one. <laughs> <laughs> and we know Lou likes the dark stuff. Feeling it is the X-Men meets the Hunger Games. Oh, God, that's cool. badass. It's kind of a post-apocalyptic Heroes if Heroes had turned out to be a good show. Oh, snap. And there, commentary by Lou Anders, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, be- before we, we dissolve anywhere down from that, uh, Lou, that thank you. Those, that's, those are some tasty, tasty highlights. Um, but what I'd like to do now is uh, take a short break, uh, give give some valuable airtime to an awesome podcast or uh, uh, tintillating, tintillating, no, titillating or scintillating uh, ebook, and uh, make sure you guys know about that. When we come back, we'll workshop a story. How's it sound? Sweet, excellent. I'm down with it yes. too. Friends, Absolutely. stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Storytelling has been a part of our lives since the dawn of civilization. But to this day, authors and readers still discuss and debate the perfect blend of character, plot, and setting to craft a great story. Now you can be a part of that discussion. Geek and Sundry presents a remarkable monthly series titled The Storyboard. Hosted by Patrick Rothfuss, author of The Name of the Wind and Wise Man's Fear, each episode is a live panel discussion on the very essence of the writer's craft. Gathering a different constellation of stellar authors for each panel, the storyboard offers up a live discussion that is vibrant, diverse, and sometimes contentious, but always relevant to today's dynamic world of storytelling. The storyboard discussions occur on the first Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. Pacific Time on Google Hangouts. Just subscribe to the Geek & Sundry YouTube channel or add Geek & Sundry on Google Plus to receive notifications. The Storyboard. Continuing the quest for how to tell a great story. And we're back, lords and ladies, and jumping into the workshop proper. And uh, this is, this is going to be kind of cool because um, the writer for this particular episode uh, is no newbie to the Roundtable podcast. Indeed, he is not, Brian. Uh, he is a blogger, a podcaster, a voice actor, and of course, a writer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, back in 2010, he created the Nifty Tech blog, which was a technology review blog focusing on the best of consumer technology. Uh, he's produced short stories for the awesome Every Photo Tells podcast, which we've showcased on the Roundtable podcast before. Uh, and each of those stories was nominated for a Parsec Award, which is fabulous. Uh, he's written essays for Flying Island Press's flagship magazine. He's working on a series of stories called The Adventures of Crackle and Bang, uh, which just sound like too much fun, uh, and is currently editing the first novel of the series titled The Perils of Prague. He is also a voice actor, has appeared in Pirate's Cove production of A Midsummer Night's Dream and in Scrivener Circle's production of Absolution. Uh, his latest role is in Scott Roche's young adult novel, Ginny Dare. Uh, and in the patio sphere, he has his own podcast. He does the Shrinking Man Project. Uh, and he's also the stowaway of F Flying Island Press's Galley Table podcast. Uh, and beloved of us is his tenure as guest co-host filling in when Brian is off running naked through the woods. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> when he isn't <laughs> juggling projects or, or freebasing podcasts, uh, he's a gamer, an avid reader, a motorcyclist, home brewer, beer aficionado, fan of Renaissance festivals, and an irreverent smartass. Uh, he lives with his lovely wife and two Maine Coon cats in Germantown, Maryland. So please welcome... For his first time in the writer's chair, Doc Coleman. Doc, woo, woo! I know we need we need cheers for that one. That was fabulous. Yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, A for for rejoining us just on the podcast because it's always wonderful to see you. But also uh, for stepping up and offering a story, man. I, we are so looking forward to this. Thank you. I uh, thank you guys. I've I've been looking forward to this and. I have to say that the, the, the writer's chair is a little bit smaller than the co-host chair. The co-host chair is definitely more comfy. Yeah, and the co-host <laughs> co chair is heated also. 
Um, yes, yes. Uh, well, I was I was going to say thanks for keeping it warm, but uh, <laughs> but it's heated. Apparently, yeah. it's heated. So that yeah, well, we want to keep you. We want to <laughs> keep you on edge, boss. You brought a story, did you not? Oh uh, yes, I did. Uh, well, excellent. Then then let's let's roll into this. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us title, genre, the format, whether it's a short story, series of stories, novels, novella, whatever. Uh, introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us some basic story points. And we'll rock into the workshop. But for now, Doc, the mic is all yours, man. Okay. Uh, the working title of this is The Alchemist. Um, it is a modern fantasy story. Um, it starts off with uh, Casey, uh, who is a college freshman who never believed in magic. And she and her little brother find themselves caught in a battle between wizards. And the tagline is, can she get them out before she goes mad? So we start off with Casey. She's, uh, she feels in over her head in college. She feels like she's taking too many classes and she's not prepared for the workload. But she's the first person in her family who's managed to get into college. And they're depending on her a whole, so much to make good that she can't bear to let them down. Their story starts off. She's failing chemistry, and she knows she's in for it when her chemistry professor calls her into his office for a meeting. What she didn't expect was for him to tell her that she needs to stop using her magic in chem lab, especially when he says that she's using magic to make the experiments go wrong. Casey can't believe her ears, and she asks him if he's mad, and then she storms out of the office in a huff. Except instead of finding herself in the hall, she finds herself in a garden in the country. The professor follows her and is shocked that the girl is, is having a nervous breakdown. He tries to explain to her that he thought that uh, she knew that she was using magic. He calls for Roger, who appears as a tall, handsome elf. The professor has Roger examine the girl, asking... Is she gray or is she bright? He looks at her for a moment and says that she's both. He explains that she has the spark of the bright people, but she's not developed it at all. And everything else about her is gray. They calm her down and they start to talk to her about magic in the world. The professor explains that magic does exist. That everybody has the ability to affect the world around them with their thoughts. For most people, it lets them shape the world with their hands and bodies, using their own creativity to bend the world to their imagination. But for some people, the people who call themselves the bright people, there's a more direct route. They can use that belief to reshape the world around them directly. She insists that that's insane. And he agrees that, quite frequently, that's a problem. Part of the issue is that when you can change the world around you with your mind it becomes difficult to hold on to what's real and it's that much worse when you can't control that if the power comes and goes the way it has with her that she can really do some damage and she can literally drive herself mad he tells her that someone should have found her and talked to her years ago and that the gift uh, tends to run in certain families but Every now and then, someone shows up with a gift when they're not from any of the bright families. And since it can be very dangerous if she doesn't know how to control her abilities, he offers 
uh, to teach her how to use her magic. Casey is very skeptical about this. She still doesn't believe it, but she knows that these people have taken her out someplace strange. So she agrees to let them talk to her about it more if they'll just let her go home. They walk into a house that's next to the garden, and she finds uh, herself back in the professor's office. He closes the door and then opens it up again to show the hallway outside his office. She scuttles out and heads home, confused by this whole episode. Casey is freaked out by what happens, so she heads home. But she knows that this is all too weird to tell her family. Her father is in the military, and he's off overseas. So she lives with her mother and her little brother. Her mother can tell that something has been bothering her, but again, she doesn't know what to tell her. She admits that she thinks she's flunking chemistry and that her professor asked to talk to her today, but she's deliberately vague about how the conversation went. Her mother uh, reassures her that the professor is just trying to help her turn her grades around and encourages her to go along with what the professor was suggesting. Her mother goes off to work, and Casey talks to her brother a little bit about it and ends up mentioning magic by accident. Now, her brother is about 11 years old, and he thinks it's cool that her, her professor is like Dr. Strange or something because her little brother, Andy, is a big comic book aficionado and just about everything he looks at in terms of comic books. So... Casey goes back to Professor Harrington's office to talk to him. And instead of having her come into the office, he takes her out and wants to show her how the world that she knows and this magical world that he's trying to bring her into exists together. So this is one of those bits that I don't have well thought out. But he takes her out and shows her things that she's familiar with, like the campus. And then sort of does a sidestep. And they're in the same place, but everything is, is brighter and more beautiful. And there are different people there. And this is what he refers to as the bright world. It's, it's another layer of reality where the, the people who can use magic choose to dwell in. They become aware that they're people who have been disappearing and some of them are students and some of them are people in the community. One of the paths of magic is known as the dark path and people who use this steal power from other people. In this case, they, they, they suck the, the creative spark out of them. And one of her class, one of first one of her classmates disappears. Later she finds this person and they're completely lifeless and she tries to, to get the person to come back with them because they've been missing for a couple weeks. And the person instead runs away from them, gets in front of a car, and gets, gets run down. She goes back to the professor and explains this to him. And he's convinced that this is an indication that a practitioner of the dark path has moved into the area and is preying on the everyday people, what they refer to as the gray people, and stealing their power. Her brother Andy gets taken by this person. She goes hunting after him. She's not supposed to, but Casey goes looking after him. So you've got the boy being taken. She's hunting after uh, her brother. 
the professor's hunting after her. She finds the dark practitioner. The professor finds that before he can steal her power, he fights the dark practitioner. He gets smacked down as well. And then uh, the two of them join their powers together and they manage to defeat him. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it, Doc. You, you've given us a foundation. You've given us some raw materials, some, some, some characters, some world building, and some conflict. There's stuff here to work with, and I'm ready to Absolutely. dig into it. But before we do, Brian, we, we, we need to do the disclaimer, man. Cover our ass, would you? Let's do it. Yeah, so, uh, so Doc, as you uh, probably know from having been on In My Seat before, through the course of this, Dave and I and, and Lou are going to throw some things at you that, that we might think are fabulous ideas, but since you're the writer, you have every right to look at them as complete and total waffle, also known as bullshit. Um, total what? Waffle. Waffle. Really? Okay. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah. I'll swallow Things like there that. There you go. <laughs> Got it. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. Very good. So you cool with that, Doc? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Um. We, uh, we always take one turn around the table and just give first impressions uh, and some clarifying questions because it's never enough time to tell the whole story uh, in five to eight minutes. Uh, and we always defer to our guest host for initial observations, uh, comments, and questions. So, Lou, start us off on uh, this conversation, if you would be so kind. What were your first impressions of Doc's story idea and what questions did you have for clarification? Well, um making some interesting setting. Um, I, I tell you, one of my first impressions is the lead is way too passive. You've got, you know, I hear you say the professor tells him, the professor tells her, the professor says this, the professor says that, the professor takes her, the professor allows her, the professor goes with her, the professor tries to fight with her. Uh, the, all the information is being, you know, she's sitting there and people are telling her what to do, telling her where to go, telling her she can come, telling her she can go. And she's not driving enough of that action. She's not, she's not discovering these things for herself. She's not forcing this information out of people. She's not, she's not investigating. She's not running away from what they're telling her in the wrong direction and into some other danger. Uh, I feel like she's, she's kind of just being led by the hand through her own story for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, a very minor note, but something that just struck me is when you said her brother's in the comic books. Uh, no, he's not. He's into comic book characters encountered through movies and media and video gaming. <laughs> they are not reading the comic books. That's for us old people. <laughs> They're comic book characters in other media, not in single-issue comics. Um, some kids are, but not the majority. So he's into Spider-Man and Iron Man and stuff but because he saw the Avengers movie, not because he reads comic books. And uh, I, I want to ask, you know, it, 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 my, my definition of, of good story is a sympathetic protagonist overcomes a series of increasingly difficult obstacles in pursuit of a compelling goal. The word mm-hmm. sympathetic, increasingly difficult, and compelling are the operative words here. Yeah. So, you know, when, when you've got a story, it's, when a blank blank encounters a blank blank, they are forced to blank in order to blank. And the way and the way I just related to you, the goals are really coming in too late. Yep. Okay. So 
take your story and put it in that sentence. When a adjective girl has something happened to her, mm-hmm. she must then do X in order to get Y. Four parts to the sentence. Okay. Let's start with when a blank girl. Skeptical is the first word that comes to my mind. Why is skeptical sympathetic? It can be. Okay. Um, But if that's her main characteristic, then when we meet her, the first thing we see her doing is being brilliantly skeptical. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we need to meet our protagonist at, at a point at which we both see what's wrong with them and what's right with them. Uh, we need to see what it is about them that needs fixing, and we need to see that they're really good at something. And we, and we see it both in our, in our, in our, when we meet them. So, like, you, had her, you start off when she's brought in by the teacher to show how she's messed up all the science experiments. Right. I, I think open on the messing up of the science experiment. There you go. Mm-hmm. You know, you open on what she's doing. So she's doing something, and the science experiments are reacting in a different way. And okay. it's amusing or scary or funny or it accomplishes something that's actually beneficial, even though it's wrong. But you've got a clever bit of business that can be happening there in present tense. You know what I mean? To hook okay. a story right away before so, she's called in the office. Okay, right. so, so start off with the lab where things are going wrong and she ends up being the last person there and the professor says, you need to come see him in my office. Frogs are coming back to life and running out. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Right. And, and better, her lab partner didn't show up that day because he's one of the people that's missing and has been pulled out right. by these other yes. people. Yes. Okay. Damn it, Dave! You're not supposed to. Oh, I'm sorry. Me. I'm sorry. I jumped in. You're right. Sorry, <laughs> Lou. This is your opening no, segment. It's fine. It's, fine. <laughs> it's okay, inspired. So skeptical girl, blank. Okay. So what happens now? What's the uh, next sentence? She's confronted by an alternate reality. Yeah, she's 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 thrust into a world based on belief. Mm, okay. Let's make it. More dramatic is 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 thrust into, um, is pulled into, is is dragged, dragged into. Mm-hmm. You know, based on belief, we don't. That's that's theme. Is mm-hmm. is when so when a skeptical college is it college or high school? I apologize. A college. College. When a skeptical college girl mm-hmm. is thrown into a world of magic. Mm-hmm. All right. She must what in order to what? So the knee-jerk reaction here is, is she must learn to believe in, in she must learn to believe in herself uh, in order to, to rescue her brother is, okay. is what it comes down to. Sure. Right, in order to rescue her brother is great. Mm-hmm. Believe in herself is not. Believe in herself is not. Yeah. Because that's not concrete. Okay. You know, all protagonists learn to believe in themselves in order to something concrete, you know. And to give you the example, when a farm boy who dreams of adventure is pulled out of his life by a wizard who comes out of the desert, he must destroy a Death Star in order to save a princess. I know that story. 
don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I want to go to Tashi Station to get some power converters. <laughs> and when we meet Luke, we know he's yep. he's both good at something and he's got a problem. You know? Right. It. Uh, it. It. She. Just, what she has to do is challenge a powerful wizard. Okay. Challenge or defeat. Master. <laughs> Must overcome. Beat the tar out of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god, you're riding labyrinth. Uh, <laughs> not really. <laughs> when a skeptical young girl is pulled into a world of magic, she must overcome a wizard in order to save her brother. Wow, it is I labyrinth. Oh, yeah, that, you're yeah. right. Yeah. That's all right. You know, one of the things that I do and that I sometimes tell people to do is when you know what your story is, go watch two films like it and sit down with a pen and paper and outline every beat in the film. And y'all know what a beat is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all theater yeah. geeks. Beat, it's not, it's not, a beat is every transition, every new piece of information. It's two people talking in a room is one beat. A third person walks in, that's the second beat. You know, they, then they're all three talking. Someone pulls a gun, that's the third beat. Um, sit there with a pen and paper and beat out the movie and then pick another movie or book that is, is similar and outline that and study both those outlines and see at what point each act break ends at what point where uh, writers don't necessarily talk about act breaks like screenwriters do but boy they should um, <laughs> You know, the classic screenplay is three acts with the middle act being double-sized. And uh, there's a very helpful book called My Story Can Beat Up Your Story by Jeffrey Allen Schechter. (laughs) And um, he breaks it down into four equal parts and says that all protagonists move through four archetypes across these four parts. And there's tons of writing books out there, and most of them are bullshit. And only a few of them are actually really helpful. And this is one of the most helpful ones I've ever read. My Story Can Beat Up Your Story. By Jeffrey Allen Schechter, and it's uh, you move through the the orphan, the wanderer, the warrior, and the martyr, and the orphan is is an orphan, either literal or figurative. Somebody, you know, Harry Potter is living under the stairs. Mm-hmm. Literal orphan, and the family you live with treat him like dirt. The wanderer is the stage in which you're thrust out of your normal life. It's the end of Act One, and you're now going around trying to figure out what the hell is going on, assembling the the clues you need to tell you what's happening and the skills you need to win. The warrior, which happens midway through the book or movie, is where you're now on the offensive, taking the fight to the, to the bad guys. You're now taking proactive stances against what's happening. And the martyr at the end is the willingness to die in order to accomplish what you have to accomplish. If you look at Luke Skywalker, he's an orphan literally. His parents are dead so far as he knows. He's being raised by his aunt and uncle who are about to get it as well. The wizard comes out of the desert and pulls him on a quest. Now he's a wanderer. They're going to Moss Eisley. They, go, they try and go to Alderaan, and Alderaan isn't there. And so they get sucked into this giant moon, and uh, they're running around inside that. When he's in there, he figures out, oh, this is the Death Star. The princess is captured here. There's some plans here. We've got to get those. we got to rescue the princess and get out with the plans. Now he's the active warrior. In the end, he is the martyr. He's attacking the Death Star. People are dying right and left all over the place. Darth Vader is coming down after him, and he has to actually turn off the technology he's relied on his whole life and trust the fate in order to blow up the Death Star. He's got to be willing to let everything go if he's going to win. The Avengers, Tony Stark, an orphan, does not play well with others. (laughs) Not anybody. Nobody wants him. 
and uh, he gets inside Shield. And he's, he doesn't join the team. He sticks bugs under their computers and spies on their screens and monkeys around in their databases. He's not a team player. He's he's gathering clues and information, spying on everybody around him. Agent Coulson dies. He finally gets serious about the fight. He becomes the warrior. In the end, he's willing to fly a nuclear bomb up in outer space, not knowing the Hulk's going to catch him. And uh, he's willing to die. He's a martyr. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, boom. You can, you know, when you're spitballing ideas for your story, you're like, oh, it'd be really cool if they got attacked by a bunch of giant umbrellas here. It'd be really cool if you meet some old guy who gives him a magic ring here. You can just get all those pieces and look at them and go, oh, this one goes in box number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. You start building your outline by the nature of what it is. Is, he, is, this, is this a clue? Is this a skill? Is this a bit of information? That's box number two. If this is a surprise in our ordinary life, it's box number one. Is this actively fighting? It's box number three. Is this willingness to die? It's box number four. It is an incredible outlining tool. Yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. I had a mm. manual by Ari Marmel that he's written for us that I can't talk about yet because it's a secret project. <laughs> but um, I, on a whim, I, I looked at the total word count and broke it into four. And Ari, who doesn't know any of this stuff, just completely unconsciously ended every act perfectly within two pages of the, of the quarter marks. Wow. wow. They have they have the group sit down at a table and the chapter ends where they say, now let's plan how we're going to win this thing. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Two pages. Uh, another manuscript I read recently where the protagonist doesn't go on the offensive uh, until, doesn't start the wander phase until halfway through the book. And it drags. The opening drags. And it's just, you know... Uh, these are the, the, these are the things that if you have this in, in you know even unconsciously the story really really feels that much more exciting or that much more compelling. So um, you know if you're doing labyrinth, then look at what labyrinth does in the, in terms of I don't mean copy labyrinth I don't mean plagiarize labyrinth but look at soon in labyrinth as she thrusts out of her world into the other world it happens really fast. You know look at point that she start taking charge of her situation in Labyrinth. Look at the kinds of things she has to go through and the kinds of things she has to learn in order to start taking an active role in winning in Labyrinth. And then look at what she's willing to give up. Again, you know, she's willing to give up her imagination. She's the ultimate martyr at the end of Labyrinth. Yep, that's awesome. That's yeah, fabulous. Definitely. Yeah. Brian, uh, what, what, what do you... I know you don't want to follow that, but well, uh, yeah. Okay, so so you preempt me, and then you make me follow that. What, <laughs> what's going on tonight? I know. All right, I know. so it's it a seat. Uh, I know, right? It's a it's a hard seat to fill. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm gonna totally jump straight into the things that I see that gets me excited. All right, and so the first thing is when 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 you find when you started talking about people are disappearing from campus. I think that needs to be happening right at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. You know, as opposed to, and then people begin to after she started learning about her magic. It's it's got to be something that maybe is going on in the background. You know, when she's walking to class, there's off to the side. There's you know, um, police tape going up in a in a obscure area of campus or something. You know, something something that eventually comes into play, but it's been there the whole time. And then um, another thing that I want to see is the practitioner of the dark path um, is on the campus from the beginning. If people are are disappearing from there then this isn't somebody who necessarily comes through from you know the the sort of alternate place but somebody who 
is just like somebody on the campus that that is um, possibly even coming into their own power. But uh, you know, that's that's kind of up to you. The, and then the other thing that I wanted to say in this. Um, gets into the whole failing chemistry thing. I think she's not actually failing chemistry. I think he's failing her be, to to um to get her to come in to his office and that maybe the the opening scene is that she's she's standing there and she's doing this chemistry thing and maybe she's good at it and doesn't understand why she's failing and that everybody around her some of the you know a lot of the students are just sort of morons and they're not doing it right whatever the lab is but as the professor goes around to help them things are happening that are making them successful that that shouldn't be and it's the professor that's making that happen and sh- because she's so good at at the chemistry aspect she she doesn't understand what's happening and then that can give you that sort of um, you know that that diametric opposition when she starts to learn magic that it shouldn't be possible because she is so chemistry minded and she is so left brained and that that's part of what is is all of the gray in her that is holding back the part that should be harnessed that requires that that right brain imagination ability to to harness the magic. Right. What do you think? Well, my my original intent was she she's not actually failing the course; it's the labs that are killing her. Okay. And it's the fact that she's under pressure and she's going to labs and she's got this pessimistic mindset that she's convinced she's going to screw up in the labs. Mm-hmm. And this is unconsciously triggering her magic and it's making things screw up. Okay. Well, can we can we turn that around to to give her you know, I'm wondering if if you know, going with with Brian's notion that she, you know, mm-hmm. as, as Lou said, she's got to be good at something and she's got to right. have a problem. Okay. And and if she is awesome at something, let it be the labs. Let it be uh, the fact that she's using her magic unconsciously. Let me just ask real quick: this magic, this mm-hmm. is altering reality. Yes, you're you're actually its most basic point. It's it's mind over matter. It's okay. Uh, uh, forcing your your will upon the world around you. Got it. So it's kind of like dark city tuning, where like she can actually. Alter the physical building. Yeah, you as as a magical practitioner, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can alter reality if you're doing uh, uh, small jumps. If you're making small changes, they take okay. very little energy and they're very easy to do. If you're doing big changes, they take a lot of energy. And as soon as you stop concentrating them, it'll try to go back to the way it was. What are the oh, consequences? I like that. I think that's kind of cool. What are the consequences? What are the dangers of magic? Uh, the big danger of magic is that you go mad because your thoughts literally change the world around you so you don't know what's real. Okay. Right. All right. And I like that so too. So part of the idea is that half the people in, in, in homes are really magicians who've lost touch with any kind of reality, and that's just where they get put to have somebody take care of them. Okay, all right. Um, let me, let me. God, there's so much uh, uh, to, 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 to explore here. Um, yeah. I'm, what, I'm getting a feeling I may have I've bit off a bit too much. No, and, I don't think so. I, I think I think what it needs, and again, this this falls under the heading of might be complete bullshit. Um, right. I, or I waffle. Think, or waffle, yes. Complete waffle. Um, we may just adopt that as the phrase. <laughs> I, I, I think what it lacks, 
doc is is I don't think you've gone into it enough. Uh, okay. There's there's not enough here. I mean, as Lou said, I mean this is this is labyrinth, but labyrinth had the labyrinth and it had the Goblin King and it had these rules and yada yada and and. The, the story as presented, and I understand that, you know, that time frame is not enough. Um, it, it really kind of felt like she was skirting the edge of this world and, man, take her right through the middle. Instead of having the chem professor uh, say, uh, stop using magic because you're screwing things up, um, it's like, no, I'm, have him pull her in and prepare to chastise her. Uh, uh, and 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 punish her for using her magic out of bounds. You know, you're not supposed to use your magic in chem class. And I'm going to bring you before the August Council of Azure Mages and and bring you up on charges. And your parents are going to go to wizard jail. And it's like, what? And and bring in other people. That's the other thing that's that I'm that I, that that seems to be missing from this. There seems yeah. to be a whole culture here. Of of wizards and magic and reality and and a, mm-hmm. a, a battle that's being waged between the dark and the light mages, and mm-hmm. while that all doesn't have to come out in the first book, it's it's grist for the mill. I mean, the, the you can hint and allude to them as we go through it, and and having her again, why her is the other question I have. What makes her the protagonist of this story? Um. The, the the original thought was that the professor was going to be the protagonist. Oh, but you you okay? All right, and, that's and, confusing. And in 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 working with the, the the whole thing started off with the idea of magic and madness go hand in hand. So so how do you deal with that? Well, and then uh, her mother is 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 a mental patient, and and her father has to visit her. Uh, and and you know there's there's. There's there's a, a wonderful weight to hang around a, a, a daughter's um, heart is, is her her mom has Alzheimer's or some bizarre variation thereof because she's a mage. Uh, maybe her family is is the chosen family. Maybe maybe they used to be the noble family among these society of mages and they've fallen out of favor and. The reason that her brother is has been kidnapped. Maybe he's the heir to be. You know, maybe maybe her role in this is to be, as Lou pointed out, the martyr to save her brother so that he may ascend one day in book six to <laughs> to, right. to to the uh, to the to rule and bring order to the to the force uh, the magic. Okay, it's kind of funny that you it's, talk about it this way because I, I didn't attempt. To, to do Labyrinth differently. The original idea was to do, sort of take Harry Potter and stand it on its head. Okay. Um, well, and also push it out of elementary school and high school and put right. it in the real world. Right. Yeah. Which which brings up an, another sort of an important, an important thing, and maybe Lou can call bullshit on me on this if I'm totally off base, but um, what what is your target audience? Uh I hadn't really thought about a target audience. I mean, this is just—it started off. It's—I guess my target audience is me. It's the story I wanted to hear. Okay. The reason that I ask is that it. Um, I somebody that I that I read once was talking about how the age of your protagonist directly affects the age of your audience, mm-hmm. and you know, so that's why, like, high school. If you know, if you're writing young adult, most protagonists are. 
um, are the same age or one to two years ahead of the of the mm-hmm. usually the kids who get really into those particular books. And so for college, it kind of it, it's a very odd age for a protagonist. And you know, you're you may lose the young adult audience, and you may not audience. But that's a total theory on my part. So Something I don't to know. Consider. I mean, the, yeah. the, the possibility of pushing her ahead uh, out of college, uh, uh, you know, in the professional world. I mean, this the events that are unfolding are not unique to college, I don't think. I mean, you can have a boss call you in and say, stop using magic sure. uh, just as easily as a professor. Um, Lou, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, we're, Brian and I are kind of riffing and, and waffling and, and throwing out stuff. Do you have any anything that's, that's twigging for you? Yeah, well, one, Brian's absolutely right. Um, you know, if it's if it's a YA, then it's 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 she's got to be high school. If it's college age, you are going to alienate some adults. Don't want to read about college kids without picking up the YA audience. Um, I passed on something a month ago because it was trying to be a YA, but it was set in college and after college, and that's not a YA. Yeah, um, right. It it. I want to know. You know, if, if what you've set up is the great danger of of using magic is the possibility of insanity, then what about her? keeps her from having to go insane. And when I talk about she has to have something special and she has to have a problem, fear of going insane and something about her personality that makes her the person who can use magic the most without going insane. You know what I mean? It, it, sure. It, fear of going insane is pretty big fear. So that's, that's, that's hanging over her head. That's the sort of Damocles in this book. So, so you know, one of the problems has to be fear of insanity, and the solution has to be somehow something about her that's unique to her that other people don't have, that other magic users don't have, gives her the ability to embrace the insanity and come out the other side and stand taller than anyone else when she does. Uh, and on that, I want to know then uh, what about her and the antagonist are similar? Ooh, good you know? question. In, yeah, in many ways, is a dark mirror of the protagonist. So, is the antagonist just batshit crazy? Um, is he someone who who has used so much magic that that he's gone insane, but has managed to function as an insane person? Is he the Joker, as a magician? Um, you know, it it. It's, I always go back to Star Wars, Luke and Darth Vader. Darth Vader represents what Luke will become if he gives in to the wrong aspect of the Force. Yeah. So why this antagonist and this protagonist? What's their relationship? What's where? How are they two sides of the same coin? And have you done any work, Doc, on the on this mad wizard who's who's in charge of everything? The dark guy, the the antagonist. I have I have not done a a lot of work on him. Unfortunately, it, uh, my process tends to to work around creating various scenes and then working back into the world building to, to, to prop those scenes up and then working forward in the characters. Um, I knew that, that I needed him. I knew that I needed somebody to fight, but I have not done a lot of work into why he is the way that he is. Um, part of it is that, He's stealing power from other people because he's taking a shortcut. Okay. And and Casey is one of these people that does the work. Okay. And in, in that way, they are they are mirrors of each other. So is he making other people go mad because are, are they taking the hit of magic on his behalf? 
in so, when when he when he takes the magic from someone else, he basically erases their personality. Mm. Um, they 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 become they become thralls to him. Brian, yeah, kick ass antagonist, go. <laughs> oh God. I, I have something else that I have to jump at first. Okay, go jump at it. Jump at it. All right, all right. And this, but this, this is kind of in line with with the first thing that that Lou talked about, and the whole thing that she has to have a reason that she it may whether or not she is in danger of losing her mind, but it sparks something, and I thought that maybe the reason that she that she doesn't, or that at the beginning she hasn't had any problem with it, is that she has not been brought up with a knowledge of magic and believes that everything that she sees is reality. So there's no crossing of wires in her mind. And then when they start to show her this alternate, you know, all of these alternate things and, and, oh. and that it isn't reality, she, that's when she is then suddenly in danger of it, and she has to reconcile the new knowledge with how she used to deal with it without the knowledge in order to overcome it. And that makes her more powerful than the people around her. Dude. Yes. And, and the, and, and just to, just to riff on that, the bad guy is doing the same thing that she's doing instinctively. And everybody else is, is subscribing to these rules that, that for, for whatever reason they're following them is, is driving them mad. And the villain is actually trying to save these people because they're doing it wrong. And, right. and she is actually his perfect apprentice because she has instinctively found the clean path to magic. And, and now everybody else that's throughout the whole book has been trying to help her is actually trying to lead her down a path that will ultimately lead to her destruction. That's awesome. Un- unknown to them. They don't understand that right, they right, are right. the creators of their own demise. And so she's alienated by the people that oppose- supposedly are her people. They keep telling her, you're right. doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. And my God, this is sounding a lot like a YA book, Doc. And, um, and you know what that does? That, that brings in exactly what Lou is talking about, which means that all the people that are trying to help her actually end up being the antagonist because they're the ones standing in her way of getting what she truly wants. Right. Although we haven't really defined what it is that she truly wants, so maybe that's wrong. Yeah, that that needs that we need to work on that. Yeah, but I like it. I like Doc. What do you think, <laughs> Doc? What do you think? Um, no, not so much. Well, I think this. Is, I think this is interesting from from the 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 from the podcast standpoint. I don't think we've ever had a story where we've pulled everything as a part as this one has been pulled <laughs> Lou we blame actually, you and that's awesome you know what though like just I, I, so that I you think don't that's actually neat it's, uh, yeah it's a good thing it's brought up a lot of things that I I hadn't realized that I was trying to do and doing badly um, <laughs> or, or and or it's just going to be very good to. for me to listen to this over and over again and, and, <laughs> and figure out where I'm going to go with this. Well, and then um, let's, let's go ahead. I'm, I'm looking at the clock and I'm seeing it tick down. So let's, let's, let, let's go ahead and take one more turn around the, the table. Uh, and, and Lou will start with you and, and give doc, you know, just, just some, some parting words of, of wisdom or some things that, that given the discussion as it has been so far, uh, uh what, what, what can he l- take from the table that will, uh, that will sustain him uh, and and result in a, in an awesome tale. Most stories, when they break down, break down between the mid mark and the three quarter mark. 
and they do so because of a weak antagonist who is not actively placing enough obstacles. So he needs to nail down the antagonist firmly okay. and, and work backwards from there. Yeah, yeah, Okay. definitely. Good. Also add that she needs both the physical goal and the emotional goal. You know, the physical goal is get the brother back. The emotional goal, I'm not sure what the emotional goal is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Very cool. Excellent. Brian? Um, okay, so the, this is, is ripe for something that I see all the time that really drives me crazy, and so I, I want to throw this at you because I really don't want you to do this. Um, don't make everyone special. And what I mean by that is you take something like True Blood, and by episode four, every character in the entire thing has some special ability. They're either a vampire or a werewolf or a panther were thing. You know what I mean? And so make sure that there are still some pivots, like some humans who are pivotal to the plot that do not have anything special about them so that we don't suddenly feel like, well, they're all having fun, but I'm still human. And so I don't really care about this anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every muggle yeah. in Harry Potter. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. one of the themes that came up, which I never got to address the themes I was looking at was, was who chooses the chosen one. Mm, right. Yeah. Uh, that I wanted to bring this up, you know, Oh, you know, oh, there's always a prophecy, and they always talk about the chosen one that does this great thing. It's like, who chooses the chosen one? And mm-hmm. my answer was finally, the chosen one chooses himself. If you want to be special, you have to decide to make yourself special. Sure, the Matrix. Um, yeah, yeah. And, no one can tell you you're in love. And <laughs> I, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't get a chance to 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 pull that out, and it's it's as as a theme. Sure, and it's right. one of those things that I've been working with. Uh, okay, that's good. It does, it does occur I, to me that if I go with the idea that Dave pulled up of of the mother being in a facility because she's lost touch with reality, mm-hmm. then if if Casey is special in that she has stumbled upon a way to to use magic and hold on to your sanity then perhaps the emotional goal is that she might be able to uh, to bring her mother back. Oh, yeah. From, from beyond the edge of sanity. Definitely. Yeah, cool. You definitely do that. In, in which case, her, her act of martyrdom has to be willingness to lose her own sanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. Sanity in order to get it back. Yep. And, and that's powerful. That's got, yeah. that's got some serious right. mojo in it. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I I can see I can see the little brother you know becoming a, a an interstitial goal or objective that reveals the larger game and you know we're three quarters of the way book through the book and we we we've saved the brother but holy crap what's what else is going on and oh my god here's the bigger tale and now here's the real sacrifice you know maybe she botches the the initial save somehow because she you know david levine said you you try you fail you try you fail you try you fail you try you succeed uh there's always three attempts at failure and then you succeed and again that's that's kind of formulaic but you know if it's one attempt and you succeed it's too easy blah blah Mm -hmm. blah um and if it takes 12 attempts then you're probably not cut out for this protagonist business um (laughs) but uh anyway and and for myself doc i i i i we need, I, I think, because of the world that you've created, I think some world building on your part 
uh, you know, I understand that impulse to write those scenes. I do the same thing. Uh, uh, but understanding the world, understanding the society, uh, the mores, the morals and ethics of wizardry among those that practice it. Uh, is there a structure? Is there a defined uh, protocol? You know, what, what, what happens? Do wizards take care of their own when they go insane? Um, the other, the other thing that doesn't bother me, but going insane is kind of squishy. Um, mm, you, you, right. can't, you can't see that. You can't measure it. You can't feel it, uh, uh, in, in any tangible way. It's just one of those long flowing things that, that you, you can't get a handle on. I'm wondering if it's not insanity. I'm wondering if it's because you've been screwing with reality so much that, that it's, it's, it's kind of a schizophrenia. It's a psychosis where you don't know what's real, uh, because you screw with reality so much that, that suddenly the, the 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 infinite multiverse of possibility is where you're living and holy crap how do you do that and that would look like madness to the outside world the thing is if someone is conversant in those cracks between the realities in that place of infinite potential that person can navigate the madness and maybe bring people back and that may be who your protagonist is i don't know um it, it, you know, when he mentioned the, when Doc mentioned the bright world where there's extra people, which he sees the campus and there's people there that you don't normally see, one of my thoughts were, well, why are those people invisible to normal people? And, and, and can you then go invisible to normal people? And when he's doing the world building, this secondary layer of reality that we're not necessarily uh, aware of, nor that normal people aren't, that muggles aren't aware of, what's going on in the secondary layer of reality? And when you're talking about now, you know, uh, navigating that world, I suddenly think the other film I want him to watch is The Adjustment Bureau. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Yes, absolutely. It, because if she can move through the bright world, can she go invisible from the perspective of people in our world? And what things are in the bright world she can utilize? And what places are there in the bright world? What doorways and pathways exist in the bright world? Moving in and out of the bright world, there's got to be a lot of the chase of this book. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to outline Labyrinth and the Adjustment Girl, and then somehow cram those two outlines together. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. There's your homework assignment. There you go, man. Doc, have you seen the Adjustment Bureau? No, I have not seen that. Oh, yet. dude, make that scene. I, I, I think, Lou, I think that's an excellent, excellent suggestion because it really does mess with your head as far as the nature of reality and with the magic system, Doc, that you've created, mm -hmm. uh, uh, getting that, getting a, a, a tangible example of how that can work might unlock a whole raft of possibilities for you. And also, Doc, when you watch The Adjustment Bureau without spoiling too much of it, um, the character played by John Slattery, John Slattery, the guy from Mad Men. Right. Right. That is your bad wizard. Ooh, nice. Okay. Slattery's character is trying to do in the Adjustment Bureau is force the lead to stay in reality. Oh, man. Oh, see, and that, that one statement right there spurs all kinds of incredible ideas. Uh, but interesting yeah okay. we we in reality and he keeps attempting to get the lead to stay in the assigned box of reality that's been assigned to him right ah uh, okay right that 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 I, that I can grasp yeah 
and, and having your dark wizard doing that or your 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 antagonist doing that that's perfect that's again Stay that's in that your dark hole will tell you where to move that dark mirror <laughs> again is is right there that's perfect watch the watch the film for what the antagonist does in the adjustment bureau and see the points in the film where the where the antagonist is t- is taking active action to block the protagonist and note those points and figure out how the similar analogous points could fit into your own plot excellent Excellent. Gentlemen, I'm going to have to call, call time on this one, although uh, uh, I, I, there's, there's, there's lots of stuff to explore. Doc, uh, thank you, man, so much. I know it's never yes. easy to, to, to put it up there, and, and trust me, now that I did that on the, the, the Galley Roundtable mashup, I, I understand yes. all too well the challenges of the guest writer, but thank you, sir, very much. Uh, thank you, guys. I mean, we, we never got into what I wanted to out of this and I always felt that plotting was was one of my weak points and uh, this has shown me a lot about understanding the arcs of, of the characters both internally and externally and how that drives the action and I have, I have better feelings for my ability to plot but I need to go back and look at some of the characterizations and, and how I'm setting up the internal and external forces for my characters. Excellent. So I feel like this has pointed me in the direction of a lot better writing in general. Fabulous. Mission accomplished. Dude. <laughs> yeah, no well, kidding. And Doc, here's the deal. When you actually sit down and and write this story and then podcast it, ebook it, sell it to a publisher, whatever, dude, we are so bringing you back and we will knight you. Yes. You will become a knight of the round table. Well, this... This was designed up to be my, my NaNoWriMo project for this year, so I've got a lot of, of quick homework to do in order to crank this, this sucker out by the end of November. So, so hopefully sometime after the uh, beginning of the year, I will, I will start podcasting it. So. Outstanding. Awesome. Outstanding. Hope. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you. Lou, Man, this this has been an education for everyone. I can't wait until this episode drops so that our listeners can can hear uh, just the insights, the perceptions, the 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 angle, uh, the vector of approach that you introduced to the story to the to the workshop uh, has been invaluable. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us. It's been awesome. My pleasure, as long as the listeners understand that everything I said was crap. <laughs> waffle, <laughs> complete waffle. Waffle. <laughs> Very cool. But in this uh, part, it's okay to be crap. It gets better from here. That's right. That's right. We build up from here. Brian, closing thoughts as we wrap this bad boy up. I, you know, I, just, this is one of those that, that, you know, once you really start digging into it, I just get more and more and more excited about what, you know, what potential it has yeah. um, and where it's going to go. And so I, I'm thrilled that, you know, that we were able to kind of play with it and doc, thanks for bringing it to us. And I learned uh, a crap load of stuff. <laughs> I know. I know in, this. in this one from, from having Lou on. And um, so I think it's just been a, a total success all the way around. I agree. Uh, a completely unconventional. I mean, given, given the, the, the format and structure we've done with past episodes this probably isn't uh, uh consistent with those but you're right my no. head has swelled uh with knowledge yeah. and and a, a little unorthodox but in a in a good way in the best way absolutely yeah. absolutely um and friends as always thank you for hitting that play button so much you uh you complete the circuit as always because otherwise we're just shouting in the dark so thank you for tuning in 
spread the word. Let folks know about the roundtable. Uh, if you've got ideas for Doc or comments on on Lou's uh, insights and perceptions, uh, you know where to go. We've got those comment sections on the on the roundtable posts for this episode, and everyone has been awesome about adding. Uh, their thoughts, sharing their perceptions, continuing the discussion once the podcast wraps up. And that is beyond awesome. Uh, So as we sit here, stunned and reeling for two to eight rounds, making our saving throw against paralysis, uh, you have to keep in mind that it's not over. Uh, uh, In just a couple of days, it starts all over again with even more awesome guest hosts, more brave, courageous, and creative guest writers, more workshopping, more literary gold to be had. Uh, But for now, we're going to bid you a fond and and civil farewell uh, uh, in terms of how you spend your next couple of days until that next episode drops. Brian, what do you think, dude? Well, looking at how this is probably going to go down in, in November... Uh, everybody's got word counts to hit so go right <laughs> yeah really get on it get yeah. on it you know you find what you're looking for so look for awesome word counts look for lowly and word counts and uh, uh, definitely just continue to be awesome and stay frosty we will talk to you in just a few days take care friends bye 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 This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.